listening to Amano's Fifth Quarter. Today is a massive milestone for me and for A5Q. I'm so excited. I have mentioned previously that I am keen to get some guests on the show, and today I've got one. It's my first ever guest on the show, so forgive me for being really pumped and excited for this one, but today, a very special guest. It's Dustin Fletcher. Yes, the Dustin Fletcher, the 400 gamer for the Essendon Football Club. This guy was amazing to talk to. I was very, very lucky to have a chat with him. He is, not only was he a great footballer, but he was a lovely guy to talk to, and I really hope you enjoy this chat. He talks about his life just in general, not just his football life, but his life. He talks about his father, who also played for Essendon back in the day. He talks about how, as a kid, he his first sport of choice was tennis, and he played with Chris Anstey, who, as we know, is a basketball legend in Australia, represented the Boomers and, and played in the NBA. He talks about, you know, coming into the Essendon Football Club as he was 18. He won a premiership in his first season when he was still in year 12. And he actually went to school two or three days after the grand final victory, which was awesome to, to listen to. He talks about that amazing 2000 team with Essendon where they only lost the one game the whole year. He also talks about the year after when they lost the grand final to to the Brisbane Lions. He talks about that rocky period, sort of the late... The late Kevin Sheedy days, early Matthew Knight's days. He does briefly mention the the drug scandal that occurred at Essendon later on in his career. Not in great detail, but he, he does talk about it a little bit. But look, nothing can take away what an amazing player he was. I mean, looking at what he achieved in his career, you know, 1993 to 2015, he played 400 games exactly, 71 goals, 23 finals, three grand finals, He's a two-time Premiership player, 1993 and 2000. A two-time pre-season Premiership player in 94 and 2000. He won a best and fairest in 2000, the year that Essendon were basically the greatest team of all time. And he's a two-time All-Australian, 2000 and 2007, as well as captaining Australia at the International Rules Series. So, you know, he's, he, what he's achieved is just remarkable. And as I said, he's a great guy to talk to. So, Enough of me talking, let's get into it, let's bring him on, the first ever guest on A5Q, welcome him on, it's Dustin Fletcher from the Essendon Football Club, about to come onto the ground. Now the Bombers are away, good run provided by Fletcher through the corridor, he's got players if he wants, he's got a long option, decides to kick from 60, driving it long, oh, it's got the carry, what a beauty from Dustin Fletcher. He's down at half forward line, oh, Fletcher! Here comes a 350 gamer, Dustin Fletcher saved the day. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and we're very lucky to be joined by the first ever guest, Dustin Fletcher from the Essendon Football Club. Dustin, thank you very much for coming on the show. No worries, looking forward to it. Excellent, I'm sure with your with your premierships, your pre-season premierships, best and fairest, all Australians, 400 games, being the first guest on the show is definitely top of the accolades list. 
Excellent. What are you up to now that football's over? Because when, when you first started playing, I was minus four years old, and when you retired, I was 18. So I got to watch you play for my entire childhood years and, and then in my teens as well. What are you up to now that you've been out of the system for five years? Yes, I've been out of the system as you said five years. Retired in two thousand and fifteen, and um, and now still, you know, it's obviously different times at the moment. But um, still involved at the Essendon Footy Club uh, as an ambassador and also um, part of the Next Generation Academy um, football program. Um, back going back to a bit of tennis coaching too. I obviously played a lot of tennis growing up, probably a lot more than football early days. So back doing some tennis coaching and. And I, uh, you know, just a couple of other things with, uh, I do some um, teaching with um, Cedar, so I'm an industry leader with, uh, with Cedar, so, you know, quite a few things to, uh, to get me busy. That brings us into our next question, because before I read your book, Fletch, I actually never knew that tennis was your first sport of choice, and you played with the likes of Chris Anstey, who's obviously a uh, basketball, basketball legend here in Australia. Yeah, I played with Chris. Obviously, he's uh, it's, we've actually followed similar paths. Really, we both played tennis from um, uh, from the age of ten through to sort of seventeen, and um, I obviously started getting the footy out um, more at sort of sixteen, seventeen. And, and Chris was the same. He never played basketball all through those junior days, and, and did start till he was about eighteen, even eighteen. So he went on to have a fantastic career in the NBA and played in Europe and played for Australia. And then um, I obviously chose um, you know in the end football and. Um, played a lot with Chris. We were undefeated for quite some time in the doubles in at a, an Australian ranking as, as a junior, and then um, you know lucky enough to to, uh, to play guys like Mark Philippoussis and Andrew Willey and, and Joe Siriani. So some quite um, good players we used to come up against. So what was what led you to decide to go through with football instead of tennis? Uh, I, I think the deciding factor was you know tennis was a sport. Um, you know, in, in football, you've got to be probably in the best at the moment, probably 800 in Australia to be uh, on a list. Um, tennis and golf, you know, they're similar. Um, you've got to be really, really good, and I'm talking, you know, 150, sort of 200 in the world. So uh, whether I had the talent to go on and, and do that, you know, it's probably questionable. Maybe I think the doubles, you know, I could have maybe... You know, had a, had a crack at a successful doubles um, career because uh, I was at a big serve and I used to like getting to the to the net, uh, Paddy Rafter style, and, and winning the points that way. Oh, I'm sure you you made the right decision because you're an absolute champion of, of AFLs. Your your father Ken, he played 264 games at Essendon, won a Best and Fairest as well. Together, you play the most uh, for a father son. Um, what sort of an impact did your father have on your career and, and led you to, to being the player you you became? Yeah, my dad had a massive impact, really. Um, my father's a lot sort of, you know, in a way, different personalities. And, um, you know, not that I wasn't driven, but dad was always someone that, um, you know, never forced me into sport, you know, tennis, footy, whatever it was. But uh, he used to always, you know, um, you know, whenever I needed to go for a kick or, you know, hit the tennis ball, he was always, you know, the first one up. You know, the ball's in the car, ready to go. And, and as you said, dad had a you know, great footy career, 264 games captain of the Essendon Footy Club, so he probably knew knew what it took, and um, you know, and the coaching that he gave me as a, as a junior, and he did coach me at school football, he was someone that, um, yeah, really just got me going, I think, because uh, there were some times there where you, you know, you're a bit, uh, you're a bit lazy, you know, you, you probably don't do as much as you should, but um, whenever I needed someone to have a kick with, he'd be down there teaching me, you know, the right, left foot, all that, all that type of stuff, so um, I've really got, um, obviously, Dad to thank for that. So, what were your memories of the Essendon Football Club? Because obviously you grew up there, so I assume your, your first time there was from a very young age. Yeah, well, memories, uh, well, early days. I was born in 1975, and obviously Dad played from about 68 through to that 1980. So, um, early days, memories were, um, we'd go with, obviously, the family would go, and, and I only remember sort of the, 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 the last bit, obviously, of Dad's career when I was uh, mum. Because I had a younger brother and an older sister, and we actually used to get put in the crash for the first uh, for the first half of the football. And um, all I remember is trying to you know you could hear the noise, you knew you sort of you knew what was happening, but you weren't 100. percent But as soon as that siren went for half time, and the players had come into the rooms, and then they'd go out, they'd basically just leave the rooms open for the you know the players' wives and girlfriends and the kids, and 
we'd absolutely run them up, you know, and steal all the lollies. We'd, uh, we'd kick the footies around, and um, and that's my, yeah, they're my memories, but, um, you know, great memories. Like, you know, the Essendon Footy Club to me was, you know, you know I knew sort of Kevin Sheedy as a five, six year old. I knew, you know, Bruce Reed, the doctor. I knew a lot of people, um, you know, as, as a young fella um, going to the footy club. Did that make it easier to, to come into the AFL system, being in an environment that you were comfortable with? Yeah, I think it did. I think, you know, as I got a little bit older too, I probably realised, you know, I was to go down to training and watch training and, and you know, obviously go to games every week. So I probably had that um, knowledge of, you know, in a way what pre-season looked like and, and the hard work that the players did put in. And, um, and in saying that, I, as I said, I was very lucky, you know, when I first started in 1992 in that pre-season, you know, guys like Mark Harvey and, you know, Mark Thompson, Gary O'Donnell, um, obviously Tim Watson came back that year. So I, I sort of knew these guys, not not overly well, but, um, you know, they knew who I was. And, and when I first got down there in, um, in that pre-season of 92, um, yeah, it was a, it was a lot a lot easier. As you said, you were selected in the 92 National Draft. 1993 was your first season uh, with the Baby Bombers, as they were known. Your first game was the Round 2 draw against Carlton. And as far as I'm aware, I believe you, you were expected to start on the bench and then Sheedy put you in the ruck against uh, Justin Madden. No big deal. No major surprises here at the MCG. Paul Salmon is out. Dean Wallace is in. And young Dustin Fletcher is going to take the opening bounce for the Bombers up against the Blues veteran in Justin Madden. Yeah, well, he rang me. She was quite smart about it, actually, because it, uh, and I was just going to play school footy that year at 93. They were going to let me play school footy and a few games in the reserve. So I didn't expect to be playing you know, senior AFL football that year. So he rang on the Thursday night um, after me. Um, it was quite late. I was actually in bed, so I think he'd had a few red wines after uh, after the match committee, and, and basically said, "You're going to play this week." And I was obviously excited. He said, "You're going to start on the bench, so you know we'll get you into the game, and we'll be fine." And I drove into the game on the Saturday. Well, Mum actually drove me in. I didn't have my license by this stage. I was, I was 17, and um, I remember doing the warm up. You know, just doing, going through all the warm up, team meetings, all that type of stuff. And we're about to run out. We we jogged out. And I actually had my uh, tracksuit top on because I was starting on the bench. And she's waved me down the race. And he said, uh, we're going to change things up just a little bit. We're going to put Paul Salmon from the ruck uh, to full forward because I think he can go well there. And you're going to start in the ruck. So uh, I can, you can imagine uh, what was happening there. It's going through my head, all the thoughts and whatever else. But um, but I managed to, yeah, to, to to actually get my hand on that first hit out against Justin Matt. But... Uh, in the end, I did last. Uh, I did last year on the ruck, which was uh, which was a good thing because I don't think I would have got. Uh, I don't think I would have got 400 games playing in the ruck now. <laughs> because you you um as a junior, you were a forward, weren't you? Yeah, I played. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose like most kids, whether it be football, soccer, you like to be the striker or the full forward, and, and I was no different. I, as I said, I was quite tall, you know, at school, and um, I enjoyed a little bit lazy. You know, probably centre half thought I didn't enjoy as much. I like full forward, where you can take a mark and and you, you could kick a few goals and celebrate sort of that way. So yeah, so I was uh, full forward at school, a little bit of centre half forward, but um, the odd you know pinch hit in the ruck, but um, I never. Never in my life did I play fullback or in the back line. So was it Sheedy that, that sort of made you into that defender you were? Because you're known as Inspector Gadget, the long arms and long legs. Was it him that sort of made you become that defender? Yeah, it was. There's no doubt it was because, um, again, you know, you, you look now in the league, there's not too many. Oh, there's probably one, Harris Andrews, but there, there weren't too many fullbacks that were six foot five. And, you know, they, they basically played in the back line. So, yeah, so I struggled, you know, in the early days. I, 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 my learning was was on the MCG at sort of two thirty on a Saturday. I'd never again never played fullback in my life, um, even kicking in. You know, I never kicked in in my life, and I used to kick in, you know, all the time as a fullback. So I learned a lot in those you know couple of years, and you know, I've only got to go through some of the plays. You know, Ablett, Modred, Dunstall, Lockett, um, you know, Kernahan, uh, Carey, Longmire. There were some good full forwards, you know, when I started. So those, those first couple of years, I really learned a lot about um, football, and you know that did help, you know, hold me in good stead for uh, for the next part of my career. Mm-hmm. And just going back to your first season, you played seventeen games, and in that season, you played on the likes of, as you said, Dunstall, Lockett, Modra, Adler, these sort of guys. I wouldn't mind taking you back to the '93 prelim 
Um, that was a, a remarkable comeback from Essendon. I think you were 40, 40 odd points down at half time. You were playing on Tony Modra. Did you believe coming into that half time huddle that you guys could still come back and win? Or was it very much a, gee, we're, we're in a whole lot of trouble here? And next week we'll be playing Carlton. It's been one of the most remarkable games in the long history of this great game. To be seven goals behind at halftime. That's it. Um, yeah, probably, you know, I probably wasn't... Um, I, I came into that halftime thinking, oh, gee, we've got some work to do. And probably, to be honest, wasn't thinking about, you know, we could win this game. But um, that was going into the halftime break. But um, I think coming out of it... Um, I probably had the thought in my head that uh, that we could still win this game, and I remember Bomber Thompson and, and Kevin Sheedy saying, "We just need to get two, get the first two goals. If you get the first two or three goals, you know you're back within, you know, sort of twenty odd points. And if we could do that, you know, we're well and truly in the game." And um, I remember Gary O'Donnell as well. He was sensational during that time, and and again, it was the year of the baby bombers. So we had five or six guys, or even you know, seven guys under the age of nineteen. That were teenagers playing, so we really looked up to to these um, to, to the senior guys, and they provided the message, and um, and we believed it. And um, in the end, you know, I think Darren Buick came out and had a ripping game and kicked some goals. And I think Modra got hold of me in that first half, and then I don't think I think he only kicked one in the sort of second half. So it was a uh, it was a really big win, and and there's no doubt, you know, you've got to win prelims to um, to get to grand finals, and um, and that was a very very special one. Sorry to interrupt, but I've got to let you guys on in a little secret. Now, truth be told, this interview here with Dustin Fletcher was actually recorded a long time ago. So we sat down and had this chat. I reckon it would have been, I'm trying to think, I reckon it would have been probably July, August last year that I sat down and had the chat with the great man. And the reason why it has taken me six or seven months to actually upload this to you guys is because I wanted to build a range of interviews. I wanted to have you know, a big sort of list of of multiple athletes from multiple sporting codes here in Australia ready to go and have a bit of a, a bit of a platform ready. Another guest I've had on the show is Eugene Galekovic, one of the greatest A League goalkeepers of all time, won a champion well, won two championships, one with Melbourne Victory and one with Adelaide United. Won four goalkeeper of the year awards, went to two World Cups as well. Never actually played in a World Cup, but was a part of two World Cup squads for Australia. And I sat down and had a chat with him. Now, that episode will not be available for a couple of weeks, but because I'm feeling, what's the word, generous today, I'm going to let you guys listen to a little snippet of it. So enjoy it and stay tuned because in a couple of weeks, the full episode will drop. Here it is. I played one year at Gifts That Talker. That's where I started at it. And I went to South Melbourne for three years. Um, you know, it, it's the league. It was the main league in Australia. And it was, it was a very high as well, uh, you know, there's a lot of good players that kind of um, play in that league. A lot of those players, you know, kind of there wasn't many players going overseas, so they majority, you know, played in played in Australia. So it, it was very competitive, uh, and, and a very good league. Um, it probably just didn't have uh, the, the structure in terms of you know, you know the TV audience, uh, the, the commercial side of things, just wasn't there. That's that's where the A League kind of excelled. They um, you know, when the young A League um, started, it was marketed really well and started off on a good note and got you know bigger and better every year, kind of uh, as the seasons went on. So um, you know, now now that exposure is there, the players are going overseas and the good players kind of lead that lead to kind of bigger, better, better things. So yeah, you know, to kind of kind of keep those players here and, and improve the league and um, you know get the good foreigners to come in to make the league even better. So. It's, uh, you know, that, the, the big thing about the NSL was, I think, you know, a lot of the good Australian players kind of stayed in Australia. Um, and then, you know, the, the ones that excelled obviously went overseas. Ah, uh, that's enough for now. The full episode, as I said, will drop in a couple of weeks' time, so stay tuned for that one. But until then, enjoy the rest of this chat with Dustin Fletcher. And what's it like as a, as a young 18-year-old to walk on the ground grand final day. What is that like? You were able to do it three times in your career. Can you explain what it's like to be in the tunnel and come up the race with 100,000 people screaming um, on grand final day? Kevin Sheedy has done it again for the Bombers. There's the bounce, Somerville, and there's the siren. 
victory for the Bombers. And now Polly will present the Premiership Cup. Foster's AFL Premiership 1993. Open or an Australian Open, you just—it's uh, just—it is that you know that feeling that you, you know you've always wanted to feel, and um, you know you're excited, you're nervous, you know you feel sick. You uh, you just you just got to make sure that when you're in that tunnel, that um, you know that nervous energy, you don't uh, you don't lose it too much because um, as I said, you've, you've got a game to win in the end. And um, I think after the first five or ten minutes, when you do run out, you run out through the banner. Um, you get that feeling of the crowd and the noise. You've got to try and get back into that, you know, a little bit of a zone. That um, this is just a game we need to win. But um, it's a tremendous feeling, and obviously I was lucky in the grand finals that I played in, or the you know '93 and 2000 that we were um, were up by a fair bit, and I, I sort of got to enjoy them in that in that last quarter. So it was a very special feeling, and one that um, you know you'll probably obviously never have again. Um, it's just a, it's just an absolute you know great feeling. And you were still at school in '93, as we said before. Did you? You won obviously the grand final on the on the Saturday. Did you go to school on the Monday? Um, I, yeah, I did. I, oh, what did I do? I, I well, I, I spoke to school because we were coming into exam into into VC exams, and um, so what happened? I actually got the Monday. I think I got the Monday off off school, and I was lucky enough to to go and celebrate with the players. And you know, from memory, I think we went to. Um, CUB in in, um, in there in, um, in Collingwood, just off Hollow Street, I think. From the brewery there, they put on a big uh, big show for us. But I was back into school on the Tuesday, and um, and as I said, uh, the celebrations were were quite were, were quite big. And then I caught up with the boys again, you know, during that week. But I still had school to, to go to. Um, you know, VCE was sort of coming up, and I wanted to um, to try and do well in school. So um, I tried to head. I tried to get the best of both worlds, but it uh, it was tough. Did you go to school on the Tuesday with your premiership medal around your neck? Uh, oh, I can't actually remember. I, I probably <laughs> think I I did. Um, I'm not sure. I actually would have walked in with it around my neck, but I think I you know, had it in my pocket because uh, you know the school were fantastic to me, and you know Ray Pierce, who was the principal at the time, she was um, she was fantastic with um, with my development at school and. and and with um, regard to playing AFL, so yeah, I think I you know, took it for a bit of a show and tell to, to my mates, <laughs> to a few teachers. So it was a was a pretty uh, special day. Oh, that's the best. But after the highs of, of '93, '94 was a bit of a disappointing year for for the Bombers. Um, and you you had your ankle injury that year, didn't you? Yeah, so I did. I think about round ten, I ended up having ankle reconstruction after um, you know part way through that year, and you know a lot of people thought we were, and maybe it was the case. I think, um, as I said, we were caught, there were a lot of young ones in that side, and there were some celebrations that probably went on a little bit too much for, for some guys. I remember coming back for that pre-season, and a few few of the boys had put on a, a few skin folds, and we probably weren't, to be honest, at, um, at the top of our game. And, yeah, I think we missed finals in '94. I got injured um, and missed a bulk of, of that season, so it was a bit of an eye opener from a, a premiership in '93 as a 17, 18 year old to 1994. You know, injured, um, didn't really set the world on fire, and, and a few of the young young boys. And I remember Joe Seedy and you know Mark McCurry. It was a bit of a uh, an eye opener that year in '94. So, do you subscribe to the belief there is such a thing as a premiership hangover? Oh, I don't. Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't think it was really a premiership hangover for us. Um, yeah, I just think you know, if, if maybe it led to a premiership hangover. But um, I just think we were still pretty young. Um, '93. You know, I, I still think it was a pretty good. You know, we did well to win the premiership. A little bit like the Western Bulldogs, I reckon, a few years ago. They sort of just came came good at the right time and, and really, you know, snuck snuck a grand final. And I think we did that a little bit in '93, but um, I was still a little bit of an eye opener on '94 because we knew the highs and um, and obviously the lows. We you know we're only young, we didn't know what to what to sort of feel, but um, a little bit, I suppose. But um, I just think it was a bit bit more of an immature for some other players. Hmm. And what about the 1996 preliminary final? Because that's obviously known for Tony Lockett kicking that point after the siren. Have you had more disappointing losses in your career than that one? The kick towards it. Oh, Lockett's got to be back. Lockett's got it. 
if he kicks a point, the Swans are into the grand final. <laughs> the time is ticking down. Lockett can go all the way, and all he has to do is kick a score. It'll be after the siren, the kick. They're all heading down there. Will you back to kick the distance, Jared? Absolutely. Directly well, in the siren is going. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. The scene is set. You couldn't get it any better than this. I don't think anybody's heard the siren. No one has moved in the crowd. What a finish. Any score. Otherwise, we play extra time. Lockett, the most important kick of his career. Any score will do. during that during that game um, Matthew Lloyd for example I think um, he bumped Mark Bays and he had a severe injury um, was hospitalised after that game I think it was his spleen or his, or his kidney that um, he had trouble with so we had sort of four or five injuries throughout that game so I, I don't think you know that grand final we would have gone in um, maybe as confident you know if we had won that game but um, still a you know a, a tough loss I think Lockett only kicked uh, maybe one goal for the day and he kicked that point at the end of the game but uh, yeah I've never seen you know Kevin Sheed is angry as he was after that game because you know we had our chances to win and um, and obviously get to a grand final we um, and we didn't do that. When you say Sheedy was was very angry, was it just a case of this is the opportunity you've missed out on? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what it is because as you know you've got to get to grand finals to win them and, and we were 15 points up with five minutes to go. Um, we had our chances to, you know, to, to get into that grand final. And, you know, you look, you know, I've spoken to Sheets about it a few times since then. And, and he probably thinks he, he, that was, he probably takes it back a little bit how angry he actually got because, uh, as I said, you know, Chris Tanner, Lloyd, there was about four or five players that reached probably would have missed the next week. So, um, but yeah, disappointing. You know, 93 was a good one. 94, we struggled. And then to get a go at it um, in 96 and, and not make it, uh, it hurt for sure. And as you just briefly mentioned before, I'm sure the one three years after that, 99 is probably another one that hurts. Um, obviously, 11 points up at three-quarter time. Anthony Kudafidis just goes crazy in the last quarter and arguably probably the biggest upset in preliminary final history. That's the ball game. If it had gone to Fletcher, he could have bombed it from that distance. The luck of the draw of final. This is uh, just an incredible comeback by the Carlton Football Club. Yeah, I read that in your book. You actually went to you went to the grand final. How tough was that to watch it? Like to watch, particularly when you see Carlton run onto the ground. And, and you, is there a sense of that should be us? Oh, no doubt. And um, we met, you know, I think two hours before the game across the road at a at a, at a cafe, and I was like, it was basically like a team meeting, like like we were playing. And um, we walked across together, the 20, 25 or so players in that squad. Um, you can imagine the crowd. Um, you know, both supporters absolutely given it to us because uh, obviously Carlton and then you know North Melbourne, I think it was, um, and yeah, and it was tough. We sat up right up the top of the Southern Stand as, as a bunch of players. Um, not a good feeling um, knowing that you could have been out there playing in it, and you know I thought we probably could have won that one. And then the, the siren sounded, we walked back across to the restaurant and sat there in another meeting for about half an hour and forty minutes, and and 
she's basically said, you know, we're not going to speak again about this until um, we get back into pre-season and the players knew what they had to do. After that, um, after that meeting, we came back in a, in a really, really good shape for the for the um, 2000 preseason, and um, and obviously that season went really well. But uh, yeah, it's, that was that was the hardest one I've I've had to take in my career for sure. Do you think that was led the foundation for being what, in my opinion, I think the Essendon team of 2000 is the single greatest team of all time? Uh, one lost the whole year. And you basically just dominate the competition, win the premiership, pre-season premiership as well. Um, you win the best and fairest and all Australian, and arguably your best season. Do you, do you think that that '99 preliminary final loss sort of helped that 2000 season a little bit? Yeah, I, 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 I did, um, and obviously, um, yeah, it, it did. You know, John Quinn, we had, we had our fitness, you know. Um, fitness guru John Quinn who came from an athletics background you know we started that 2000 season um, you know really well and um, you know got to I think a few games in and I remember John Quinn came up and said to a few of the players he didn't understand football the game itself sort of that well but he just wondered why everyone would why he used to sing a song after every game because you know with him in the Olympics and, and that that was you know, the Olympics for him was was the was the grand final, and he said, "Why would you sing sing a song after um, every game when you're not even in in the Olympic final or in the grand final?" And from then on, um, the players we actually didn't even sing the song after we won games, um, which was really weird because it was just a known thing. Then you come in, you sing the song with gusto, and and you get up and about, but we didn't sing the song. Um, we made a sort of pact that we won't sing the song until um, until. We win the grand final, and, and that was the case. It, uh, it worked out pretty well, but uh, just a, a special year. I think average winning margin of 38 to 40 points uh, each week. We had uh, a lot of strong players in that side. You know, Mark Johnson, Jason Johnson, Dean Solomon, you know, Damien Hardwick, um, you know, Barnard, Wallace. It was a, just a really, really strong, strong football side. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. There are many ways you can pledge your support for A5Q, such as checking out my YouTube and social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, where I post Australian sports content regularly. Also, if you're in need of some fresh threads and you're deciding what designer brand to wear next, head over to Redbubble where you can purchase an Amato's fifth quarter t-shirt or jacket. There are also magnets, stickers, and pins. Please note the prices are set by Redbubble. These are just some of the ways you can help me in making A5Q the best Australian sports platform out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. And were you nervous coming into the 2000 Grand Final because there would have probably been a lot of pressure that you've obviously been this incredible team, you've only lost the one game, was there the pressure in the grand final, particularly in the first couple of minutes when David Neitz took that mark on you? You know, was there that extra pressure you've got to win this? Yeah, there was. I felt a little bit, to be honest. Um, you know, I played on obviously Elsa Lynch and the, um, you know, you know, oh, sorry, Clenahan, um, Neitz and Lynch in grand final. So some pretty good players that you're coming up against, and obviously Stephen Clenahan. Um, got hold of me in '93, so from an individual sense, I wanted to try and have a really good, you know, grand final. And um, David lost the first mark. He spun round. He luckily he missed. I think he missed the first one, and that probably, um, yeah, made me feel a little bit better. And you know, as the game went on, I actually felt more confident. Had a reasonable game, not a, not, you know, not a great, great game, but um, did my bit. But um, yeah, that, yeah. In saying that, though, you know, we were pretty confident that um, we were going to win that grand final. And um, as I said, in the end, it was uh, it was just a really good game of football, and you know we were too strong. Um, you know, James Hurd obviously won the won the medal, and it was a it was a very very special uh, win. And I heard Bruce McAmey only a couple of weeks ago saying it was one of the great 
where it was the greatest side that he's ever seen. So that was uh, pretty special to hear that from uh, from Bruce. Yeah, I agree with Bruce. I think I think you guys that year were the best team I've ever seen personally. You could argue forever who is the best team of all time, but as Jason said earlier, this is the best season we've ever seen. Kevin Shooty joins Dick Reynolds as the most successful club in over 100 years at this famous club. And they have won their 16th premiership. And is there a better story than James Heard? Well, maybe Barnsley and Wallace get close. The year after 2001, you guys aren't able to win the flag. And you lost the grand final, obviously, to Brisbane. Do you feel... I mean, obviously, you won a premiership in 2000, so... I'm sure you're very grateful to be a two-time Premiership player, but do you ever look at that and think we probably could have three-peated or at least won another one? They've done it. He's got the ball in his hands, Bruce. A bit of history here. Lee Matthews has been to the top of the mountain for a second time as coach. Once at Collingwood, and now he's done the impossible. Brisbane have won the Premiership. And they've beaten the champs. Definitely won, um, whether it be, you know, I think it was 99 the one, really. Um, but probably, yeah, and then that 2001 was obviously Brisbane, and Brisbane started their run of, you know, three or four, whatever it was, promising. So, yeah, I'd have to say yes. Um, I, I definitely think um, out of those three years, the two out of the three years would have been um, would have been what we wanted. Well, three would have been what we wanted, but maybe not the, the 2001. But, um, yeah, we came across a good side in Brisbane. You know, we were still in the game up until, you know, just after half-time. But um, we came up against a pretty good side. You've only got to speak about their midfield. Brisbane, even their forward line, and you know, quite a strong back line as well. So it was a, it was quite a uh, side that we came up against in 2001. But, you know, we in the game at half-time, so we, um, we, were still, we were still a show, for sure. What is the difference when you win one and when you lose one because I get the impression that when you lose one it's such a sense of we might not get this opportunity again like it seems like such a hollow feeling compared to obviously the, the, the incredible feeling of winning one yeah oh yeah I was lucky I suppose that um, 93 and 2000 we did win them so I didn't have that feeling until, until 2001 so I probably didn't know what it really was like um, but then yeah you're exactly right 2001 we lost that one and I played footy for another 15 years and um, and really didn't even get a look in at, a, at another, well, only a couple of finals campaigns really and, and didn't even get a look in at another premiership or prelim finals. So, um, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, 15 years is a long time not to play finals, for, you know, not to play in a, in a final series or, a, or, a, or play in a grand final. So um, I realised that, you know, once I did retire in 2015, you know, how special the years from 1993 to 2001 were. Mm. And just last one on 2000, to, to win a, a best and fairest in that year, that must have come with a great sense of pride to you. Yeah, it, it does. Obviously, you know, you play a team game for the premiership and the celebrations with your teammates and the hard work that goes into it. But um, now that you've finished, to look back and say, you know, I only won one best and fairest, and, and that was 2000. I had a couple of seconds and a couple of thirds. So, yeah, it was a, it was a special one. Um, you know, it's, you know, again, I had some pretty good players around me that, that year, and you know, Mark Johnson and you know, Damien Hunt and Sean Wellman and all these type of guys, Dean Wallace, that were around me. So I, you, you sort of thank them as well. It was really a, a group, um, a group that, that really won it. But um, yeah, when you're retired and you look back, and I think Gary O'Donnell won it in 1993, the best and fairest, and we always have a bit of a joke that um, you know they're pretty hard to win, but to win them in best and fairest, it's uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good effort. And then the years after sort of that reign of, of Essendon 2001, after that grand final loss, 2002 you finished fifth, 2003 eight, 2004-8, and then you start to, to really go down the ladder. You missed the finals 05, 06, 07. 2007 in particular was a really good year for you personally. All-Australian was the year you kicked that massive 80-metre bomb against St Kilda. And Matty Lloyd, will he load up with the left? Because I think you kicked him inside 450. Lot of numbers back for secure. He's gone to Dustin. He's gone to Torp. He's got plenty of carry. It's going. It's going. It's gone. That is unbelievable stuff. Isn't it great to see a torpedo on the run, Liam? Dustin Fletcher. But that was also the year where Kevin Sheedy and James Hurd left the club. 
what what was what was that like to know that two amazing figures of Essendon were not going to be around anymore when it was all said and done? I'm sure that would have been different for you because Sheedy and her, you'd you'd been with your entire career to that point. Yeah, oh, it, it was it, it was that was probably probably one of the toughest times in, in my career to be honest because as Kevin coached me for 285 games, he um, threw me in as a 17 year old and. Um, he never dropped me once throughout that time. It's someone I trusted, and, and he trusted me. And you know, I loved you know Kevin Sheedy. He was he was someone that uh, was no doubt the best coach I had. So to see him uh, put his hand up and retire in, in that year was, was tough. But no, no, that was was James Hurd, the best player that I played with. Tough, could kick goals, um, a bit like Wayne Carey, could win games off his own boot, um, and a terrific person as well. So. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty tough year, 2000, and uh, I think seven, as you as, as you said, it was. And um, obviously Matthew Knight's coming coming in after that had a bit of a tough time, but it was always going to be a, a tough time when someone like um, Kevin Sheedy does um, does retire or does you know does leave the footy club. So what makes Kevin Sheedy so great? I mean, he was the coach of Essendon for 27 years, one of the great coaches of all time, four premierships that were all spread out in the 80s, 90s, and 2000. What makes him such an incredible coach? Um, incredible coach. What makes him? It's I think a very, very positive person. Um, very, very positive with regard to his coaching. Um, I think he he knew people. He knew um, whether someone needed a spray face to face and that type of thing. He knew if someone needed a nice quiet chat just to get them fired up. So um, he loves people. Um, he loves the game. And, and that's why he lasted so long. And you know, a lot of his ideas were very innovative too at the time. Um, you know, the way he, you know, when he got some some great assistant coaches under him, just to keep keep things ticking over. He had, uh, you know, you've only got a list. Have a look at the list of some of the assistant coaches under him that went on to coach. Um, you know, Mark Thompson, you know, Robert Shaw, you know, uh, Mark Harvey, Dennis Pagan, um, Dean Bailey. Um, there was there was a lot, you know what I mean. So, but he was no doubt the best coach that um, that's gone round, and someone who um, who I absolutely loved. Because yeah. 2008, obviously, as you mentioned, Matthew Knights took over, and then a few years later, James Hurd, your old your old teammate, comes in. It was a bit of a hit and miss period. Um, you had big losses in elimination finals in 2009, 11, and then a close one in 14. I know you didn't play in 14, but you did play in 09 and 11. What what do you think was the reason why Essendon was sort of so up and down in that period and, and on all three occasions you kind of j- just made the finals and then got blown away in the first week and, and you sort of weren't able to take that, that extra step? Um, I think we under, when Matthew Knights came in it was, it was always going to be a tough ask, you know, with Kevin Sheedy um, gone and, you know, people love Sheeds and Matthew Knights coming in, it was always going to be a tough and was going to be tough and he worked, you know, he, was, he worked really hard, Matthew Knights, but we probably had a real attacking sort of game, game style, didn't we, during that period and in the end I don't think sort of that, that held up as, as well as it should, so we did, um, we did lose some games. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure the reason, you know, maybe sometimes it's just got to do with, with personnel and, and the players that we had maybe weren't as, um, we weren't as, as skillful or as, or we just didn't have that talent as, as I did, um, did early days. But, um, you know, some lean years, you know, obviously during, during those times and some, some big losses in, in those finals, which, um, you know, which wasn't great. 2015 was your final year in the, in the competition. You played seven of the first nine games. You kicked that. The, your last goal of your career was that Anzac Day bomb. Uh, that was a pretty fair final goal. If you are taking requests, this has to be a tour. The crowd willing him on. Kill Shirley. He'll back check it anyway. He has. Oh, put down the phones. We don't take requests. So what about Fletcher? Two goals in 95 in the draw match in 95. One in 02, one in 08, and one in 15. It's just crazy stuff. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned the one against Kill, and that was probably my, 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 I feel that was my best one. Um, probably the best thing about it was actually Matthew Lloyd did handball with that one. He did handball too many times the, between him and Scott Lucas, but uh, <laughs> you know, to kick it all against Kill to that one, and you know, I think when I was you know, nearly 70, 78 metres or something like that, that was a very good one. But uh, yeah, but that last one was, was good, and as you said, I think it was a dream time at the G. It was my last game that year. Um, 
don't know, I think a, a few things came to the head really. My, my groin was getting a little bit sore, but was probably more mentally really that um, that I felt like I was I was on the way out, on the way out. Um, you know, we obviously the Asada, the, the, the drug saga that um, was hounding us wasn't great. And I probably wasn't enjoying football for the first time in, in my um, in my career. And you know, when you get to the age of 40 and you're still playing AFL and it's your 400th game, um, I basically probably knew in my head I wasn't going to play any games after that game. So um, yeah, maybe yeah. I don't think you know. I think my groins, to be honest, probably could have got me through a few more games. But um, it was more mentally that um, you know I probably had in my head that I was done. Um, you know, give some younger players a go and, and, and maybe step out and that's and that's how it worked out. Because I remember watching your 400th game, I was 18 as I said at the time and just in awe of, of a you know, 40 year old man still out there and still playing very, very well. Is 400 games, is that something you looked at at the time and thought, wow, this is amazing or is it something that now you've been out of the system for half a decade already that you, you look back on with a great sense of, of I'm, I'm so glad and proud of, I've done that? Yeah, I think, I'm, and yeah, yeah, I'm glad now that I've done it. You know, that's once I have finished. And I remember I got to when Matthew Lloyd was at the club and was helping Joey Danaher with the goal kicking. And I was, I was having a bit of a poor run about, oh, I think it was about 370 odd games. And I remember saying to Lloyd out on the track one day, I went out a word to him. I said, uh, you know, I said, Lloyd, if I get dropped in the next couple of weeks, I reckon uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it in because uh, I'm not gonna play reserves grade footy at the age of 39 or 40 running out there in the reserves and I didn't really want to do that and, um, and he said to me he said to me he goes mate I, I keep going from the individual sense um, he said I retired a little bit early you know I think I should have kicked a thousand goals and, and played a couple more years and it's something I do regret once he said that to me um, well I thought well I'm going to have a go at playing 400 games and uh, in the end it, it worked out well I just got there 400 games on the dot and, um, and that was that Oh, sorry guys, I have to take one more break for three-quarter time to show you. Oh, I can't resist, I can't help myself. I'll show you a little last snippet of the Eugene Galekovich interview and just a last reminder that it will be coming in full in a couple of weeks' time. So here it is. Everything, you know, before that game was, you know, all those little things kind of were going against us. We, I think we had an A-League game um, just before that game and um, they, they flew flew to Adelaide in a private jet uh, really early, maybe four or five days before the game, really fresh. Um, the momentum just got us through that game and, um, you know, the, we, we win 3-0 at home. Um, and going over there, it's, you know, you don't feel safe 3-0, uh, especially going to a country like Woodney Core, uh, a long flight. I think it took over 30 hours to get there and we're yeah. about, you know, transiting transiting in four different countries and when we got there I remember it just being really hostile. Um, the crowd was on top of us, um, never stopped, every time the ball went out, um, you know, they just put the ball back in straight away. Um, they, they just got the game moving really quick, put us under a lot of pressure and um, the best thing for us was we didn't really concede in the first half so it was the half halftime and they scored really late to really, you know, try to that's it for now. It will be coming soon. Let's get back to Fletch. Obviously, 2015 was your last year, and we all know sort of what, what was going on at Essendon, and we're definitely not going to get into that now. But did those sort of things happening outside of the club, did that have any impact on you making that decision to retire? Yeah, I, I think it did. Um, again, I, you know, I mentioned I, I wasn't enjoying it. You know, you're driving into the footy club and everything was getting talked about was the, the drug saga and, you know, what we're having and what we're taking and, and what we were doing wrong. And it wasn't about footy at all, was it? It was, you know, everyone was just talking talking about the drug saga, which it was. It was obviously a, a massive, massive thing at the time. And, um, yeah, I found that tough, you know. Um, you know, there were players that didn't even get tested during that time from 2011 to 2012 and I was one of those players that actually wasn't even tested by the AFL so to you know to to be suspended from football and and to sort of yeah to go through the you know the biggest fight in AFL history and you know the blackest day in sport as it was called was was pretty tough to take because we weren't talking about footy were we were talking about other things off the ground when um you know, all I wanted to do was play footy and, and enjoy the game of football. But uh, that wasn't the case for, in the end, three or four years. 
Yeah, because even if you did go on in 2016, you would have been suspended, wouldn't you? Yeah, so yes, yeah, so I was suspended. You know, I was actually going to go back to local footy um, and play local footy because I'd never experienced local footy. The, you know, playing with your mates and just having a bit of fun and having a beer after the game and a bit of a laugh. But um, yeah, as you know, I was suspended. I, you know, you couldn't coach, you couldn't be on the ground at the junior level. You couldn't go and watch your kids' matches. Um, you couldn't walk into Windy Hill. You couldn't walk into the True Value Solar Centre up there at um, Tull Marine. It was a, a pretty tough period. You couldn't be involved in any sport really because um, whatever you know, whatever fell under the the water banner, whatever sport fell under the water um, banner, you couldn't do. And even tennis coach, he wasn't allowed to tennis coach. It was a it was a pretty tough time that following year. It is. So it would have just been a massive mental, just everyday dragging you down sort of thing. Yeah, it was, you know, and you know, it, yeah, and that's it. Even now, I think it, it's hurt me a little bit. Now, you sort of, once I did finish footy, I was going to go into do some coaching at, at Essendon and, 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 and being a development coach and assistant coach and, and things like that. But you know, having that year off, um, yeah, just you know, new coaches come into the footy club, new people come in, and and you have twelve months, twelve months off, and you you know you you lose that and. Um, Unfortunately, yeah, I'm still involved in sport a little bit now, but I would have liked to do a little bit more in football, but um, that's just the way it went. And just because we're about to sort of wrap up now, running out of a bit of time, but if I could just ask about two games in particular. The first one was round 16, 2001, when you had that incredible comeback, 69 points down and still win. And then the second one is Anzac Day 2009 with the David Zaharakis goal. An amazing day. They started off absolutely brilliantly, the Kangaroos. But the Bombers are such a champion team. They're trying hard. The clock is counting. And the game is over. One of the best ever. One of the very best ever matches played on this magnificent ground over more than 100 years of football. And Kevin Sheedy has brought his team back from where no team has come back before. 69 points they were behind in the second quarter. And the Gallant Kangaroos, without their captain in Wayne Carey, without their premiership stars in Mickey Martin and Anthony Stevens, they got out to a huge lead. 69 points. But somehow, the Bombers... Love it, Murray. He has short. It's a mark to Zaharakis. Zaharakis has kicked a goal. The Bombers are in front of the G. Well, it's a magnificent fight back by a never-say-die Essendon. But Collingwood will have to ask themselves how they let it come to this. And Ryder rises to the heights again. Tuvi tries to crash through. There's that time. It's over. The Bombers have won it. They have snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Two of the best games. You've, you've hit, hit them on the head for me. You know, people ask me about the best games you've been involved with. and you know, Two grand finals for sure. And the other two of the games you, uh, you just mentioned. When you were 69 points down, you're looking at the scoreboard and it's 91 to, I think, 22. Surely you're not thinking to yourself, we're still a chance here. Oh, yeah. No, well, yeah, you're not. Um, and that's when, you know, coaches come into it. And, um, and again, Sheedy said, I remember going in at, uh, at half time. You know, we go after the first three or four goals and you drag it back within sort of 40 points and, and you're a show, aren't you? And, but yeah, that game had, had everything, didn't it? Um, Jason Johnson from memory absolutely starred that day um, but that's what you play footy for um, it had every emotion didn't it um, you know getting thrashed um, coming back um, and it was a really in the end it was a, it was a goal for goal type of game I'm, I'm not sure of the final score but I think we ended up being 170 odd points and, and North Melbourne were about 159 so for so the last quarter it actually we actually got back pretty quick in the third quarter and then it was just it was goal for goal in that last little bit um, was no doubt it was the best um, the best home away game that I've been involved with and obviously the best comeback in, in AFL history as well and to do it against North Melbourne who was a they were a neighbour we had some pretty big games against um, yeah meant, uh, meant uh, quite a lot yeah because as you said it's not like it was a gradual comeback you guys were 69 points down and then I think at half time the margin was back to 20, 24 points or something and that's certainly manageable it was, it was a crazy game, but I've watched the whole game and, and absolutely fantastic to watch. 
Yeah, and you tell people now, you say what was the best game, and you tell them the scores on 70 odd to 159, and people go, Are you serious? You know what I mean? It was just, uh, it was that, that's what you play footy for, and that's what people love. And goals either end, um, you know, massive score, maybe defence wasn't as, as big back then, but um, it sort of beats games today, seeing, you know, three goals eight to four goals two. Or something, the final, the final result. Well, these, these uh, days, yeah, no doubt the best game that home um, away game I've been involved with. Well, these days, in obviously in the situation now, five goals could could get you the win. So it's yeah. just crazy to, to see that sort of um, comparison. Yeah, that's right. It's a bit like a soccer score now. Sometimes <laughs> you know, five goals to four yeah. um, can uh, can win your game of footy, which is uh, I don't know, which we don't come to. F- you know, yeah, that's what's great about the game, kicking goals and the big high marks, the one-on-one battles. and We probably don't see that as much anymore. But, um, you know, I still love footy, but uh, I like goals being kicked and the one-on-one stuff. So, um, you know, that's what AFL's all about. I agree. There's nothing better than a close game, both teams over 100 points and less than a goal of the difference. That's the best type yeah. of footy to watch. Yeah, and, and we saw a game, I forget the score, but even uh, Richmond, uh, Port Adelaide a couple of weeks ago, and I oh, forget the actual you. score, but that was just a good, tough game of footy, you know, and there were goals kicked both ends, but uh, that's what the fans come to see. Absolutely. And just uh, just lastly, on the, the Anzac Day game 2009, where were you when uh, when Zaharakis kicked that goal? Um, I was actually centre-half back, so actually I was actually closer up, I was actually near the centre, um, and still remember it vividly, I think, from memory, uh, what I mean, Jason Winderley got it to Love at Murray, or Heath Hocking, and they got it to, to Dave Zaharakis, and for him to kick his, to kick his first goal in, in AFL footy in that game, and I remember the rain too, the, the scene was set, I reckon, I reckon it only rained, rained 15 or 20 minutes in that last quarter when we were, we were coming back, but uh, you know, from a pure excitement point of view, um, yeah, that was a, that was an unbelievable game. And Anzac Day games are, are very special for obviously a couple of reasons. That um, the Tess and Collingwood they were big rival rivals, but uh, more for the fact that um, you know what we can do for the return servicemen and, and how we can um, you know you sort of just help them you know raise some money on, on that particular day. But uh, that was a very, very good game, and again to beat Collingwood, um, you know, it doesn't get any better than that by um, you know by, by a close margin. Absolutely, and I think that's still the best Anzac Day game of all time for, for mine. That was great. Yeah, we've had some big ones, haven't we? And Collingwood obviously have had the wood over us, you know, for, for some time in those games. But we do find we've had some good ones, but um, that one was, you know, the first one. You can really argue the first one was one of the better ones, the, the drawn game. His nine goals, and it was the start of the, the 1995, the start of the, the end of those um, games. But um, yeah, that one from an essence supporters' point of view was no uh, doubt the best. And just as we're just about to wrap up now, I wouldn't mind just asking three real quick questions. Yep. Who is, uh, and you've already briefly mentioned it, but who is the best player you've ever played with, and why? Who's the best player you've ever played against and why? And I probably don't need to answer this question, but who is the best coach you've ever played under and why? Yeah, yeah, James Hurd. Um, and not for the reasons that he kicks goals and was a centre forward, full forward type. I just think he was tough. Um, he won games off his own boot. Um, the best player, of, you know, it's probably down to Lockett, Dunstall Ablett, but for some reason I go to, to Gary Ablett, um, obviously senior, um, just someone who could do it, do anything. Um, he kicked tops, he could grab it out of the ruck and snap goals. He um, he was an absolute machine and someone who actually idolised growing up and loved watching him. So to play with him was um, was was very special. And Jason Dunstall, you know, some of the battles I had against him, I, I tried to to beat him out at Waverley when um, he basically cleared out the whole 50 metre area. It was all his. Had guys like Darren Jarman just putting the balls out in front. And he had such a good forward in, in Jason Dunstall. He was he was up there as well. And, yeah, and Kevin Sheedy, I, I, I only had Kevin Sheedy, um, obviously James Hurd and, and Bomber Thompson and, and Matthew Knights and obviously um, Kevin Sheedy for 285 games and someone who trusted who I trusted and he trusted me. It was a, was a pretty special relationship we had. Dustin, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a fantastic chat. You're an absolute champion of the game and I wish you all the best in, in everything you're doing now out of football. Great, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Thanks, Dustin. There it is! It's all over! 
And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating, check out my YouTube, Redbubble and socials. Links down below. Until next time, old sport.